Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 253. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit TherapyNotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes today. Just use the promo code TherapyChat when you sign up for a free trial at TherapyNotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and it's mid-November. And in the U.S., we just shortly before I started recording this, we were told that all the ballots had been counted in our states that were still outstanding. And Joe Biden received the most votes. So unless something really unusual happens, it seems like we will have a president. And I'm looking forward to that. I think the topic of today's episode is definitely interesting and very fitting for where we are right now in our country, in our country's history. And as this episode comes out the week before the American holiday of Thanksgiving, which has cultural significance along with it's often seen as a family holiday. I feel a lot of mixed feelings about Thanksgiving because, you know, we originally learned that it was this coming together of the colonial settlers who had come to find this new world and the people who lived here before the Europeans came and that it was this, you know, coming together, beautiful, peaceful moment. And I don't know if it even really happened, but it's clear that the European settlers who came here were part of a genocide against the indigenous people who had lived on this land for tens of thousands of years before the Europeans arrived. So we gather as a family and share a meal and we focus on our family connection. That's what the Thanksgiving Day means to me. Also, I was born on Thanksgiving, so it's always had a strong family meaning to me that was much more important than the 
historical myth that we had been taught before. Because when I was growing up, we always had birthday cake on Thanksgiving. And I really felt like a star that day. So that's my own personal experience of Thanksgiving. But as we go into that, it's kind of the beginning of the holiday season in the U.S., When we celebrate Thanksgiving this year, there will be many tables where we are not gathered with extended family because of coronavirus and needing to isolate from one another to help everyone stay healthy. So there can be some sadness with that. And there are a lot of families where politics has really created some serious estrangement. People feel like they can't even talk with each other which is very sad. So I think this episode is timely because I talked with my guest, Tina Gilbertson, about family estrangement. And she specializes in helping parents whose adult children are estranged from them. And this is a situation that I see very commonly in my practice. I usually work with the younger members of the family who do not want to have contact with their parents. I mean, many of my clients have very positive relationships with their parents, but some, because of childhood abuse, may have limited to no contact with their parents. And I I was really interested in talking with Tina about her work and her book, So I hope that you will find this to be an interesting conversation. And if you have a strained relationship with your parents, this may provide you with some hope. And if you are a parent who has a strained relationship or doesn't understand why there is such a disconnection in your relationship with your adult child, this may be helpful and hopefully informative and provide some comfort and hope as well. So let's just dive right into my conversation with Tina Gilbertson. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm really excited to be talking to Tina Gilbertson, the author of Reconnecting with Your Estranged Adult Child. Tina, thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Laura. Thanks for having me on. You are very welcome. This is a topic that I am super interested in, and it definitely comes up a ton in my practice. So I think that our audience is going to be really interested in what you have to say today. So before we dive into talking about your book and your podcast and your Reconnection Club, let's just start off by you letting our audience know a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, I am a therapist. I'm currently based in uh, Denver, Colorado. And I started out as just a general therapist in private practice uh, somewhat over a decade ago. I guess it's, well, anyway, it's been a while, but um, what I what I discovered in my practice was that I had a lot of clients who were not talking to their parents, and, uh, and I didn't really know at the time that this was actually something that, that happens a lot, so I was kind of taken aback by, by how many clients I had, and sometimes I would talk to them about, well, geez, you know, how, how well do your parents understand why you don't want to to go home for the holidays or whatever it was. And, you know, they would say things like, well, I've tried to to talk to them about the problems, but they don't get it. Or they might say, um, I can't, you know, they wouldn't, they don't understand me. They won't get it. So I can't talk to them. I just, I realized that there was a real disconnect. And I, I knew there were parents on the other side who were probably really, really 
uh, devastated by what had happened in their relationship and really maybe didn't have a clue as to why this disconnect had happened and why they weren't hearing from their kids. So I started writing articles online, you know, hey, you know, here are some things that you might need to know. Because I had all this information from the people in my practice. You know, they were telling me why they didn't want to talk to their parents, but they weren't talking to the parents. So I thought, oh, gosh, I, I need to help these folks connect. And that, that was, uh, you know, a few years back. And I just, there was such an outpouring of gratitude and questions. And I just heard from so many parents. I was blown away by how big this problem was. And so I decided to specialize in, in working with parents to, to try to repair some of these relationships that had gone kind of off, off the rails a bit for reasons that were, you know, often mysterious to the parents. So that's where, that's where I, I landed. I ended up specializing in uh, working with parents who are unwillingly rejected by their, or, or restrained from their adult children. And everything I've been doing for the past, I don't know, six years or so has really been to that end to try to help these folks reconnect. Well, now that makes me curious. Do the parents who you work with often find that they're able to truly reconnect with their adult children? And I, when I say truly reconnect, I mean that it's actually a relationship that's like satisfying for both <laughs> <laughs> that is the idea, of course, that it be mutually satisfying and mutually beneficial. But when you've had, you know, estrangement and these kinds of problems don't happen overnight. When you've had decades of a relationship that has a certain tone, a certain set of dynamics to it, it takes time to turn the train around. But I do see parents working on doing that and having some success with their kids. And I hear stories pretty regularly of kids being just so grateful that their parents were willing to stop and look at what was going on, which is incredibly hard, hard work for the parent who typically, you know, did the best they knew how, thought they did a decent job, don't understand why this cutoff is necessary and everything. For them to, to turn around and say, wow, there are clearly changes that need to be made. It takes a tremendous strength, I think, to withstand the shame and humiliation that often accompany these kinds of uh, relationship rifts, you know, but but I do see success, and that's what keeps me going. I I do get to hear about the success stories, but I'm not going to pretend that it's an overnight. Usually, it's not an overnight process, and it's definitely not easy. There's usually a ton of personal healing and evolution that really wants to happen in the parent before they can show up in a different way in those relationships. What a beautiful gift you are bringing to these families by helping the parents find a way to resolve these rifts that feel very painful for both the adult, the parent and the adult child. I mean, that's, I'm like super excited now that I'm thinking about it, that you're offering this. It, it is, I'm excited too. It is what keeps me, I, I live and breathe this every day. It's such a privilege because the amount of healing that can take place through this crucible of parent-adult-child estrangement is, is breathtaking. There's so much healing often that needs to happen in the parent, and this is maybe the thing that brings them to the place where they 
realize something needs to something within themselves really needs to heal and and change and do life and relationships differently it's just it's transformative it can be a transformative experience to go through this fire this pain of this very, very deep personal rejection. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. Those words are so evocative. Mm-hmm. So Tina, let's maybe for some who are listening, I mean, I think you've already kind of created a picture, but let's make sure that everyone who's listening really knows what we're talking about when we talk about parental estrangement. Maybe you could give some examples of sort of like types of situations that Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll start with my own grandmother. This isn't something I really thought about when I was getting into this work, but in my own family, my mom's mother estranged herself from her family of origin. My mom grew up without knowing her grandparents on that side of the family. I mean, she never met her maternal grandmother and grandfather. It was total lifelong cutoff as far as we know. I think that kind of cutoff is rare these days just because it's a lot harder to do than it was in the 1930s, you know? It's just hard to, to, to be off the grid, to disappear, to be hard to, to find. So, and from what we know, I think of the research, most estrangements are temporary. They're not this lifelong disappearance kind of thing. But that is, that is one form of estrangement is just a blackout, you know, total cutoff. And it's, and I think what parents fear, uh, they really fear it a lot when their child goes radio silent, that this is what they get. They've basically lost their child. But I think that uh, much, much more common is a kind of on again, off again relationship between the parent and child. Sometimes the child is in the parent's life and sometimes they're gone again. So it's kind of a cyclical or periodic estrangement. That's how it's referred to in the literature, cyclical or periodic. Um, And I think the reason that's the most common is that there's so much pressure, uh, both internal and societal, for people to, you know, forgive, to get back together and stuff like that. And so, there's a tension that builds up, like it's just hard. It's hard to be estranged from your uh, primary family members. And so, you know, people, time goes by, maybe people try again, but the same problems that were harmful to the relationship in the first place, you know, are still there unless there's been some, some effort made. And so over time, a new kind of uh, pressure builds up, the pressure to get away again. And I think that's why you get this this on again, off again. So that's a that's a second kind of estrangement besides the you know total blackout, lifelong cutoff. And a third one that I do see is what I call emotional estrangement. So the relationship, it's not like they never talk. It's not like they even don't see each other. You know, these are parents and children who may go to lunch. They may t- send texts and everything, but at least on the parents side, there is a sense that they're strangers, you know, that they're not as close as they used to be or as close as the parent would like them to be on an emotional level. You know, often there's this sense that we used to be able to talk about anything and now it feels like I kind of walk on eggshells. So the estrangement, the distance is not physical, it's not logistical, it's more of an emotional distance and that's very painful to feel that someone who is so important to you is like a stranger. So that's the third kind of estrangement that I recognize and see in some of the people that I work with. Okay. 
These these are just getting me thinking so much, obviously, since I'm a person, I'm a child. <laughs> I'm yeah. a child of parents, and I am mm-hmm. also a parent of children mm-hmm. who are adults. Yep. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking about clients, and I'm thinking about friends and extended family members, um, my, in my family and my partner's family. I guess I'll just ask you and you can, you can teach me. The situations that I often see are, I encounter, I'd say there's two, two common situations that come into my office. One is people who had a father who at some point separated from the mother Mm-hmm. and the child didn't see them again. And then the father tries to re- re-engage with the child when the child's an adult. Mm-hmm. And they have these like continuous missed connections where the the child wants a relationship with the parent, but they're also angry. And, you know, so it's hard for the parent to break through and the parent keeps trying to connect, but it's like they really don't know the child. So they're, they keep missing and it just feels like these repeated abandonments and betrayals. Yeah. And then the other side that I often see, which is like almost the complete opposite is I often see people, um, especially women who feel when I meet them, they describe being so close with their moms, like they talk to them every day, or they see them every day, or their mom is constantly calling them, but they feel the mom is like too enmeshed or too intrusive. So they'll describe a close, they'll call it a close relationship, but they'll describe a feeling very violated by the way the mother is pushing like intrusively mm-hmm. on their boundaries. And and then, you know, they, as they are working through that, they start to make connections to ways that they don't feel that their mom really met their emotional needs. And then they want to put more distance and the mom like really, you know, reacts negatively to that with this, like either like really controlling behavior or just really hurt and like rejecting. Where would you (laughs) put those in the examples of what you gave? Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, Is that too I mean, complicated? No, uh, let me try. Uh, <laughs> you're right. I mean, I see these two. The, yeah. You described them very well, these situations. These are just two in a panoply of uh, different uh, situations and dynamics, mother, father, daughter, son, all of these things. But, uh, you know, where are these emotional estrangements? Are these cyclical estrangements? I mean... Um, I'd say they're both probably emotional, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, in the case of the father, there was an actual physical... Uh, estrangement there maybe after a divorce or something like that and of course Mm -hmm. there's the complicating factor if the mom alienated the child from the father and of course that can happen in either direction you know fathers can alienate try to alienate their children against the mom as well after a divorce or even when there isn't a divorce there can be parental alienation so that is a complicating factor and one thing i do want to say because parental alienation is a is a subject that is um, discussed in in the literature and among therapists that there is a lot more attempted alienation than successful alienation Mm -hmm. so i mean it's a real thing it absolutely happens we all know that it does that unfortunately some parents you know, try to turn their children against the other parent. It's very harmful, of course, to the child. 
as well as to the other parent. It's very unfortunate, but there are lots of attempts at this. And some are successful, especially when the kids are young and they have no contact with the other person. But um, I think that's probably a little bit outside the scope of just kind of regular estrangement because most estrangements are motivated by the adult child himself or, or herself. So, so just getting back to the father who was separated and wants to, to reconnect, this is a, just an inherently difficult situation for both the father and the child. There's no guidebook, you know, who are we to each other if I haven't seen you in 15 years? I mean, how yeah. do you be a dad if you haven't been a dad? And, and this is no longer a child, they're an adult. So it's just a, a tricky thing to navigate. And I think just the one thing, a uh, bit of advice that I would give to parents is you've got to, to develop the skill of validating the difficulty for yourself and for your child of forging that relationship after this huge hiatus. You're not supposed to be able to just pull this out of a hat. It's difficult, but you also need to to be able to sit with that anger. If your child is angry and feels abandoned, you have to be able, as hard as it is, to to understand, you know, why that anger might be there, there to understand how your child could feel abandoned even if you, you know, your experience was that you tried and tried to see your child and weren't able to or that you you know, wrote to your child six times a year or whatever, You've, there's got to be room to just acknowledge and understand if the child is angry. And, it, you know, you have to be able to hear that and to to accept it and uh, empathize and just have uh, remorse and sadness for that child's experience. So, you know, that's what I would say to the father is don't be in a hurry to, okay, let's get on with this. Let's have our new relationship now. That's all in the past because that's not going to address the need that is still there. So that's that's what I'd yeah. say about that is when there's emotional distance you you know how do you create emotional closeness and and one way to do that is really by listening empathizing, trying to understand and be, just be with whatever uh, that person is experiencing. Well, that's where you said, let's see, the shame and humiliation that the parents feel at being estranged from their children. seems like that can get in the way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is actually the biggest obstacle to repairing these relationships. There is something very human that gets invoked when your own child is you know, their pain is basically an indictment of your parenting. That's what it feels like, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't do it right. I hurt my child. I didn't try to, I didn't mean to. And yet my child was injured, damaged, hurt, angry, disappointed. It's just incredibly, it's it's a lot to take on as a human being. And by the way, as someone's adult child, yourself. Exactly. Right? Yes. So parents are not these super people. They're just people uh, with with emotional needs of their own and need to be also validated, although your child is not the person to do that. But, you know, we all have a need for validation, visibility, appreciation. We need to know that somebody sees how hard we tried to do the right thing. And if it's not your child, um, it needs to be you. It needs to be someone else. But I think... um, 
when the child is estranged or angry, uh, moving away, the parent may have a, a very strong need for that child to recognize, hey, I didn't mean to hurt you. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the best I could. Can you forgive me? In much the same way, by the way, that I forgave my parents for not being there for me. Uh, so there's an also a justice problem there. If I put up with a lot, yeah, you had to put up with something. And why don't you forgive me the way I did? But you know, speaking of these emotional needs that parents have, because we all have them, uh, that reminds me of the the second situation that you talked about with women and their moms. And, uh, and it can also be moms and their sons. Sure. You know, it's not just moms and daughters, but with moms and daughters in particular, I do see this a lot, is that really, really close relationship often, but not always with the woman was the mom was a single mom. Mm. And it was us against the world, you know, the two musketeers or the three musketeers, you know, mom and her children. And then yeah, there is a there is a certain uh, enmeshed quality, perhaps to the relationship that develops and the needs of the mom uh, for love and, and belonging and stuff are met through that relationship with the child. And the child at some level, either consciously or semi-consciously or unconsciously becomes aware of the the burden of having to be there, be there for that, their mom, you know, because mom doesn't have a lot of other close relationships. Mom relies on me to, for companionship, for, uh, you know, just to listen, to be, to be close and together. And I'm the most important person in my mom's life. And that, that can be um, a big responsibility, you know, for, especially for a young person who is, you know, 22, 25, trying to add a place in, in, in their lives where they're trying to make a life of their own as, as an adult. Very and much, especially I see when they have children, like now they're managing their own family, their little yep. nuclear family, and their mom is demanding a lot of them, they feel. Suddenly it feels like it's way more than they can do. Yeah, definitely. And having children is a flashpoint there's a mother-daughter relationship coach called Roshka Hasseldine. She is a, um, a counselor who specializes in mother-daughter relationships. She talks about these flashpoints in a young woman's life where she may kind of pull away from her mother. And that is, you know, having children of her own is one of them where the relationship with her mother becomes a uh, suddenly full of tension. And mom can't understand that because it's like, hey, I've got grandchildren. You've got kids I can babysit. This is great. This is wonderful. We're, we're a big, happy family. <laughs> uh, so there's a real ripping away of this sense of, of everything being okay and close and wonderful. It's, it's really devastating what can happen. And of course, the daughter can feel just painfully aware of how much her mom is hurt by being uh, shut out, perhaps, while the daughter just makes room for, for the, her chosen family, her new family. It's just, it's a powder keg, or it can be, uh, because mom has these emotional needs that really can't be met elsewhere. And so it's not really optional for the daughter to be there for her mom. So I'm not surprised that you've seen that too in your practice, because I think that's a pretty common dynamic. And it's certainly not that they don't love each other. That's what's so tragic about this. You know, Mm -hmm. they both feel the pain of this weight of something in their relationship. Roshka Hasseldine thinks of it in terms of women's needs and how, you know, societally women's needs are not typically considered important, you know, needs that need to be met. 
So it mm-hmm. falls on daughters. It falls on daughters to meet mom's needs because mom isn't really supposed to have needs, but, but women are supposed to meet everybody's needs. So it's this complicated, it becomes a, you know, whose needs are going to get met? Mine or my daughter's? Mine or my mother's? Someone's needs to. have to be abandoned here. Exactly. Who's it going to be? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. Hmm. Let's just pause for a moment so I can give you a little bit more information about why I love therapy notes. I switched to therapy notes a few years ago. I'd say it's about three years now, I believe. And I have never regretted it. I was very happy with the EHR I used before, but therapy notes is more intuitive. I love the interface. The customer service is fantastic. And I love how I can get my notes done quickly because I can customize the template that I use for my notes. And there are opportunities to put check marks rather than having to write out the intervention used. So I have cut my time spent writing notes way down, which is wonderful because I like to focus on seeing clients. I know documentation is an important part of our work, but it can also be time consuming. And that is why I love using therapy notes. If you are considering switching EHRs or you're looking for one to use in your practice, give therapy notes a try. You can get two free months by using the code therapy chat. Now let's get back to our interview. And then I think about how I hear from the parents, you know, that they're saying, they're sort of saying implicitly, okay, you don't want to be around me, fine, but you're keeping me from my grandchildren and that's just not okay, you know, and, yeah. and sort of that becomes like this power struggle. It does. It's like the parent, the parent is saying, oh, you're rejecting me? Well, I reject you, but those children, I want them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, that I do see that too. And that's tragic as well. You know, obviously, ideally, you have a multi-generational family and the kids see everybody getting along and the kids feel loved by everyone and the kids get to love everyone equally and all of that. But what the grandparent who tries to bypass the parent quickly finds out is that they don't have, uh, in most places, as far as I know, any legal right. They may feel a moral right, but they don't have any legal right to be in their grandchildren's lives. And that is, that's obviously really tough for someone to take if they've been waiting for grandchildren for eons. But the the point is that they they focus on these grandchildren without realizing that the relationship that needs to be tended is their relationship with their grandchildren's parents. Mm -hmm. That is the primary relationship. And yeah, it's easy to resent if your child is keeping you away from your grandchildren. But, you know, everybody gets their turn to determine what happens with their children and who their children see and everything. So everybody gets a turn to be parents and have absolute say over their kids and then you then you abdicate to the next generation and they get to have kids and you know that's kind of how it works and lucky people uh, just get included in the next generation's activities and it's not problematic but when there are problems in relationships these things do break down and when you say well that's cruel to the grandchildren 
to keep our, you know, the grandparents away. The complication is that, yes, it's very unfortunate when grandchildren have to watch their grandparents being held at bay. But in order to have empathy for the grandparents, the parents have to make a sacrifice and, and there is no empathy for them. So it's kind of a zero sum situation mm. here. Somebody's needs have to be trampled in order for someone else's to be honored. And that, you know, that's a situation that where you just need to change the, the playing field, the rule book, something's got to change so that there isn't a zero sum quality to who gets their needs met. Yeah, it's like, instead of looking at it as a black and white, who's the bad one? Who's the good one here? Mm-hmm. It's like opening up more of an expansive view of what is really going on, that everyone here has needs and how can we lovingly meet each other's needs, you know, and how do we get along appropriately? Yeah. How do we get along instead of uh, being angry at, you know, you, cause you won't let me get along. It's how do I get along here? If somebody's mad at me, how do I manage a situation where someone is, is so mad at me or so hurt by me that they're holding out these things that are important to me. And it's easy to get lost in resentment and, uh, and uh, self-criticism and other criticism. It's just easy to go down a black hole with this. It can be extremely depressing and it can be hard to turn things around, but that is the answer, really. The answer is that there needs to be compassion in this situation for everybody, for the grandchildren who might benefit substantially by having this intergenerational family involvement. Uh, Compassion for the parents who obviously have some reason. You know, we want our parents and our children to be, uh, it's pretty normal to to want that, to to want harmony in our families, right? So, Mm -hmm. if if the parent of the grandchildren is not wanting that for some reason, we've got to look and say, why? You know, what needs to happen to bring this natural state back where where we want harmony? And of course, passion, uh, compassion for the grandparent who really feels a, a just a, a terrible piercing loss, which may, of course, relate back to earlier losses that may or may not have been addressed. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that comes up with estrangement is acknowledged, unaddressed trauma, grief. Uh, These things can be triggered when we're rejected by the people we love. Well, as a trauma therapist, it's like, there it is. It always (laughs) comes back to trauma because it's like why the parent originally couldn't meet their children's needs the way the children needed them to is probably because of the parent's unresolved trauma that they had no idea was affecting them because they just tried to push through. And then the child is reacting because they feel traumatized by the way that the relationship was or you know the attachment wounds that came from from that that makes sense to me me too yeah and in order to address your children's trauma of course you have to face your own and that's not something that everybody is ready to do well enough supported to do Mm, very much equipped to do so yeah it's a tricky tricky problem and a very important thing to try to to try to help with. I think people really need help with this. Yeah. And that's what, you know, because what my clients express is that they just want their parents to listen to them about mm-hmm. how they feel, mm-hmm. validate their feelings, like you yep. said, apologize if needed for wherever they fell short without, you know, making it all about them. Just like, mm-hmm. you know, 
I'm so sorry I didn't, I couldn't be what you needed me to be or something like that, you know? Yeah. And this is an important thing for therapists to understand. It's sometimes pretty easy for us to see that what's really needed is for the parent to listen and just hear their children's pain. But when you are that parent with untreated trauma or yes. terrible deep grief or loss or feelings of deep insecurity or, or low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. It is not trivial to listen to someone say, you hurt me. I mean, that that goes to the absolute core of your being. And it is yeah. such asking everything to, to listen and hear and hold that kind of information. So it is, you know, that's just a note for therapists. It, it, we, we can see what, what needs to happen here, but we've got to appreciate the, the price that it feels like needs to be paid from the, from the client's point of view. So we've got to be exceedingly gentle, mm-hmm. understanding, empathetic with the person we feel is, you know, the key to to solving this whole thing. You know, it may be like, come on, come on, you know, here's what needs to happen. You need to get with this program. You need to do this. You need to do that. But we know that pushing people mm-hmm. uh, does not help people change and certainly shaming people does mm-hmm. not help people change. And it's very easy to un- unwittingly, accidentally shame someone who is in this position where their children are not talking to them. I can understand because as a parent, you know, I want to be open to, I feel it's inevitable at some point, my children should probably come to me and say, when you did this, Mm -hmm. I felt you didn't see me or you, you didn't care or you weren't, you know, whatever it was, I'll just have to wait and see what it's going to be. But (laughs) (laughs) whatever it's going to be, I know it's, it should be coming because that would mean that we actually have had you know, an open enough relationship and open communication enough that they trust me to be able to come to me like that. But, but I also dread it because I don't want to feel that I ever let them down because, you know, it hurts so bad. And that's, you know, that's me with years of therapy about the way I've been hurt before. It's being able to know that that's still going to be coming or should be coming. And, and stealing myself to tolerate it, like not not just bracing against it, but like be open to it. Yeah, that'll probably be my work in therapy for the rest of my life until <laughs> <laughs> until they're ready to come and confront me about whatever it was. Right. Yeah. But what? Tell us how your reconnection club helps parents with this, because you know the shaming piece and the the pain and stigma is so deep and horrible for people. Yeah. So the the Reconnection Club at reconnectionclub.com is, I I see it as an online school where parents can get the information that they need to start trying to make these repairs. And of course, there's a support element to it because as we've just been talking about, making repairs is not simply a matter of, you know, going step-by-step through the numbers. It's very, very much an emotional process, uh, a process that involves probably a lot of tears, a lot of um, efforts to heal and personal growth and so on. But there's a lot of information there in the club. And the textbook for it is a, a book that I've written called Reconnecting with Your Estranged Adult Child. So that's 
I consider that the textbook for the online school, and that puts forth this approach, uh, what I hope is a very compassionate approach that takes into account parents' needs for, for healing and, and being understood and being visible, and also adult children's needs, which we know are, are the, the reason why people disconnect from families because their needs are not met or they're, they're um, quite uh, badly trampled through usually unwitting behavior from from families so um yeah the the whole idea there's the book you know reconnecting with your strange child there's the reconnection club where people take those principles and they work together you know it's it's just for parents the reconnection club it's an online home for them basically to to work with these ideas and these principles in a what i hope is a very supportive kind atmosphere one thing that's different about it is, you know, if you go online and you look at forums where mm-hmm. estranged parents hang out or estranged adult children, there is so much anger, there's so much mm-hmm. vitriol, there's so much blame, there's so much diagnosing of each other. I mean, for every adult child who diagnoses their chi- their parent as a narcissist, there's mm-hmm. a parent on the other side diagnosing the child with narcissism, BPD, yep, you know, bipolar. Yep, ab- absolutely. Those are so uh, there's just so much us and them. Yes. So that's what I wanted to get away from with our online space. Um, and we, we look very carefully at, uh, at how people are talking about themselves and their children. And we, we really, it's very important for us to keep a, a kind, respectful tone. And we, we don't often need to remind our members because I think, you know, somehow we have managed to, uh, to set that tone for the most part. So, I think of it as a very healing space. So ideally, people read the book, they join the club, and they take their time in working through these uh, things. And we always encourage people to have an individual therapist. I can't count the number of times that I have recommended individual therapy to people who are posting in the Reconnection Club, and they're talking about what sounds to me like undiagnosed trauma specialists in particular, are very, very much needed for the people I work with. Just so many have undiagnosed, unaddressed trauma that's completely affecting all of their relationships, but in particular uh, with their children, as you can imagine, you know, this incredibly intense relationship that's not like any other. That's the thing is like, normally for people who have trouble relating with others, mm-hmm. you can alienate all of your friends and all yep. of the your coworkers, but you, and you can be like, it's their jerks and I hate them. But then your children, you want, you may feel angry at them, but you want them too. <laughs> so it's this Absolutely. conflict. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, parents express that, you know, honestly, deep down, they thought, well, geez, at least my children are supposed to love me. And, Mm. you know, some of us, when we hear that, we're like, well, you know, that's pretty selfish, or, you know, it's easy to label that as, well, you're a narcissistic parent, if you expect your children to whatever, whatever. But you've got to understand where that's coming from. Mm -hmm. Here's a person who may have had no sense of, of belonging, being cherished, or, or anything that's really that, that feeds them as humans. And it's, you, you know, if you can really get that, you can understand why they would at least hope that the children they bring into their lives might be that unconditional love 
that that um, they never got before. I'm not saying that is, yeah, that that's what should happen. Children should unconditionally love their parents. That's not that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I can understand why mm-hmm. someone who has never, ever experienced that would look to their children for that. So rather than condemning parents who do that, it's very important to understand the history of someone who reaches out to their child to get their needs met and who is absolutely devastated when the child doesn't want to do that. You've described it beautifully and really it evokes compassion for the, the parent, you know, and that's the thing. I think for me, like clients who are coming to work on how their attachment needs were unmet during childhood, their emotional mm-hmm. needs, or physically, you know, they were abused physically, sexually, or in yeah. verbally, that, you know, it's like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to vilify my parents. They're not bad. They loved me. Mm-hmm. I know they did the best they could. And mm-hmm. I'm angry at them and I'm hurt by them and yeah. I want to set boundaries with them. But it doesn't yep. mean, you know, that. The parents, I think the only way to do this healing work, whether it's working with the adult child or a child or the parent is Mm -hmm. with compassion for everyone, because everyone wants to have these loving, harmonious family relationships, like you said. So, Mm -hmm. you know, something got in the way that they couldn't. And that's why I think what you're doing is absolutely beautiful and needed and so healing I just feel like even in this time in particular in our our like world history, mm-hmm. there's so much violence and so much anger and so much us and them mm-hmm. fear. But things like what you're doing are repairing relationships and creating more connection. And that is what we need. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Yes. And I do want to say that I would never want or expect or ask anyone to enter a relationship that feels harmful to them. That that is absolutely not the goal of, of reuniting parents and children. You know, healing must happen before reconnection can happen because the idea is a mutually satisfying, uh, nurturing relationship that doesn't harm anybody, but that is, you know, that adds to the lives of everyone involved. Well, I am very grateful that you're doing this. And I think your, your way of describing it is so helpful. So just to wrap up for people who are listening, maybe people who are parents who are estranged from their children. I was thinking your podcast might be like a good entry point for people. I hope so. Yeah, the podcast is the Reconnection Club podcast. Sometimes it's easier to find it under my name, Tina Gilbertson, than Reconnection Club. I'm not sure why. But anyway, in that podcast, I do try to give just kind of tidbits and bits and pieces for parents to to think about, to reflect on sometimes practical tips. You know, there are logistical things that come up when you're estranged from the child. Should I send them a birthday card? Yeah, Should I real. invite them home for the holidays? You know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I do I do hope that, uh, you know, the feedback is that, that uh, people, you know, some people find it really helpful. So, yeah, check out the Reconnection Club podcast if you are a parent 
who's got even a troubled relationship with an adult child, you know, headed off at the pass. If you're still in touch and you're not estranged, but you're worried about the quality of your relationship, I, I like to think that there are some tips and information there for you as well. Fabulous. You've got it all. You got the book for those who prefer to start that way. You've got the podcast for those who start that way, blog posts, your club. So I'm Tina. I'm just, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. It's been an honor to talk with you, Laura. I, and congratulations on five years plus yeah thank you, thank you. Uh, of therapy chat you, you provide a, an incredibly uh, important service for therapists and just for the general community so thank you for doing this and very much for for having me oh the pleasure was mine today's episode is sponsored by therapy notes there are many ways to keep your practice organized but therapy notes is the best their easy-to-use, secure platform lets you not only do your billing, scheduling, and progress notes, but also create a client portal to share documents and request signatures. Plus, they offer amazing unlimited phone support, so when you have a question, you can get help fast. To get started with the practice management software trusted by over 60,000 professionals, go to therapynotes.com and start a free trial today. If you enter promo code THERAPYCHAT, they will give you two months to try it out for free. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.